0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being much more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode I've lost count. 167, I think. I think it's 167. And I'm going to be talking about famous escapes from the Tower of London. This is a shorter version of the talk that I did at the Intelligence Speech Conference uh, last week. So if you saw it there, then I'm sorry, this is a duplicate. But most of you did not see it there. So um, for those of you who did, thank you so much for coming. And I will put in the show notes links to some other favorite episodes I've done and other things you can listen to this week instead of this since it's a duplicate for you. So show notes are at englandcast.com slash tower. Englandcast.com slash tower for the show notes. Just a couple of quick pieces of admin. First off, TutorCon is happening this year in person. I got an email last week from somebody saying is TutorCon happening? And I thought, well I keep saying it on my show, but I guess not everybody hears that. But I'm gonna say it again. So TutorCon is happening In person, October 1st through 3rd, it's three days of basically a Tudor nerd fest. So there's costumes, there's parties, there are talks. Um, I wanted to make something that was basically a, a mix of going to an academic conference where there are lots of talks and learning, but also a Renaissance fair where it's just fun. So this is kind of a mix between the two. So, there's a party on Friday night with costumes and period music, entertainment, stuff like that, games, all kinds of fun. And then there's talks on Saturday during the day. There's entertainment on Saturday night. Then there's talks on Sunday. And then there's a feast. And then everybody gets tickets to the Renaissance Fair as well. So, it is in a winery next to the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. And it's October 1st through 3rd in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So you can get tickets. We have fewer than 10 tickets left. Uh, somewhere around eight, I think. Um, seven. So fewer than ten though. Englandcast.com slash tutorcon twenty twenty-one. Englandcast.com slash tutorcon twenty twenty-one. One other thing is that once a year I do a crowdfunding campaign for my tutor planner, which is this beautiful um, planner slash diary, diary if you're in England, um, but planner if you're in America, Um, a weekly, monthly planner, monthly, weekly, that has wonderful Tudor facts and all wrapped up in a beautiful cover that looks like uh, an old illuminated manuscript. Um, There's This Week in Tudor History, there's music listening lists, all the Tools you would expect from a normal planner, like habit trackers, everything like that, um so there is an indieGoGo now because I publish it all myself, so i I do it all myself and work with the printer and warehousing and all that stuff. So I do a crowdfunding campaign every year to pay for those upfront costs that I have, and so there's an indieGoGo, and I'm not going to read out the entire link right now, but you can see it in the description for this podcast and also at the show notes. And basically, this is the way to guarantee that you'll get yourself a planner because last year we did sell out. So this way you definitely get one and you get it at the best possible price and you get lots of fun perks. So there's stuff that I include as perks that I don't include other places, things that I don't sell in other places or make available in other places. So um, check out that Indiegogo if you want to grab some fun tutor perks and get a tutor planner. Awesome. So now let's talk about people who escaped from the Tower of London, shall we? This will be a fun one. So we think of the Tower of London as this, you know, very famous prison. It was actually built towards the end of 1066 was when they started building it. William the Conqueror built it after he came over, It was to symbolize the repression of the new regime. The Saxons were done, the Normans were in, and the Normans were going to take control and impose their will on everybody. And the tower was an example of that. The White Tower, the very famous White Tower, was built in 1078. The tower itself is predominantly, has always predominantly been a palace, a royal palace. It was also a mint. There was a menagerie, and I did an episode a couple of years ago on the Tower Menagerie, so you can check that out if you want to listen to that. I'll add a link in the show notes um, to that episode. It was also a public records office, an armory, and of course, it was a prison. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The very first prisoner was a fellow called Ranulf Flambard. He was imprisoned in 1100. He had been the Bishop of Durham. He had been found guilty of extortion. And so he was put in the tower. And there's a story of his escape that some rope had been smuggled in by friends to him in a barrel of wine. He threw a party and gave the wine to his guards. And they got drunk and fell asleep, as wine will do that to people, too much of it. And he just climbed down the rope and escaped. And there was a boat waiting for him, and it took him. And his mother and a lot of his treasure from having been the Bishop of Durham, all back over the channel where he worked with Henry the First brother, Robert Burthos. So that was the very first escape from the Tower of London. A story that I'm going to tell you now is one that I think is really interesting. And it's about Alice Tankerville. Alice Tankerville Wolf is her full name. So Alice Tankerville Wolf is the only woman to have a story like this. And I think she's really interesting. So her story begins in October of 1531. Henry VIII was getting a shipment of about 366 gold crowns from the Hanseatic League. This money was worth about a million pounds. And it was because he was under fire at this point from the Catholic countries. This is when he's divorcing Catherine of Aragon, not quite marrying Anne Boleyn yet. Um, but he's not in favor with the Catholic countries, but the Protestant Hanseatic League wanted to help him out. And so they sent this money. So the ship arrived in London and Henry had sent some people down to meet it. And there was this chest on board. It was iron securely locked, chained to the floor of the ship kept under constant guard. And when Henry's men arrived, the the, uh, chest itself was empty. The money had all gone. So of course, the Hanseatic League is really upset about this. And so they start an investigation. The investigation lasted for two years. And eventually it seemed like the evidence pointed to a fellow called John Wolfe. John Wolfe was a thief, a pirate, a general thug around town. And there wasn't really that much evidence to connect him. He had been a member of the crew that was on board when the ship landed or docked. And that was kind of the only evidence, but people kind of had a feeling that he was the person. So he was taken to the tower and he was going to be charged with conspiracy, theft and treason. He had a wife called Alice. Alice was probably his common law wife and whether or not they were actually married is up for debate. But for the purposes of this, we'll call her his wife. So she would come and she would bring him treats and things like this. This was a period when Prisoners had to provide their own furniture, their own clothing, pay for their own food. So she would come and bring him things, bring him clothing. And while she did that, she would charm the guards. She was a very charming person, made friends with the guards, especially two fellows called William Dennis and John Baud. And, you know, they flirted a little bit. Alice was very, very charming. She was possibly a prostitute, um, but, you know, she knew how to how to work her natural graces. And so John Bod in particular started to fall for Alice. After about six months, the case against Wolf falls apart and he's released. And he decided that the best place for him to be was not in the country, so he left for Ireland. But he did ask John Bod to watch over Alice while he was gone. John Bod's only too happy to agree to that. Um, but Then Wolf leaves, and soon after he leaves, there's actually new evidence that linked Wolf to the theft of the 366 gold crowns. And also that new evidence implicated Alice as a potential accomplice. So the Hanseatic League really wanted to get this handled quickly, and they didn't want to have to go and chase after John Bond, who everybody knew had left. They didn't want to deal with all that, so they decided to try Alice and John Bond. By Parliament in absentia, so essentially Alice was being charged and convicted of a crime while she was in London, but she didn't even know about it and during all that time she was visiting her new friend John Bod, she was you know seen around the tower basically just visiting her friends, and she wasn't even told of the charge until after the trial. So she was found guilty, and she hadn't even been notified that she was found guilty. And then there was a warrant for her arrest. So meanwhile, while all of this is going on, Wolf returns from Ireland, and he has a scheme to make even more money. So she had befriended two foreign merchants. Alice had befriended two foreign merchants. She had even been to their rooms, their chambers, and she knew how much money they had, kind of a general idea. She knew they were really, really wealthy. Why she was in their chambers, I'm not sure, but she was there. So make of that what you will. So they had this plan that they were going to take the money by murdering the men. So they lure them, her and Wolf lure them to the river. They kill them on boats. Um, they tie them up, throw their bodies in the water, and then they take the keys before they did all that. They took the keys to their rooms. Now, because the crime was on the water, Alice was officially a pirate. Now, at this point, crimes on the water, you're a pirate. So Alice is now a pirate. She takes the keys from the men. Like I said, she breaks into their homes to rob them, but they were caught and arrested. So now Alice is a pirate implicated in this other theft from the Hanseatic League. It's not looking very good for her. So, one prosecutor wrote a letter to Cromwell that we still have a record of, pleading for Cromwell to intercede in this, making sure she is punished and locked up. And he said that he was worried that if the diabolic woman escapes, we shall be in great jeopardy. So, Alice had a reputation. She was put in the Cold Harbor Tower and not just put in a cell, but she was also chained into her cell. And because her and Wolf were pirates, they were tried in the Court of Admiralty and they were sentenced to hang upon the Thames at low water mark in chains, and the rising tide would drown them, which would be horrifying, I think. Alice did not want this to happen to her, and she decided she was going to hatch a plan. One of the things was all of her old friends at the tower were feeling sorry for her. They liked her, they knew her, and it was hard to see her as this murderer, pirate person when she was their friend. And she was being treated very harshly. Um, Seeing a woman in the tower to start with and then chained, it, it was unusual. So they began to feel sorry for her and decided to help her come up with a plan to escape. William Dennis himself was one of the earlier guards that had guarded Wolf, and he was a visitor to her cell and he decided that he would show her a secret way how she might be conveyed out of the tower but then people started to get suspicious of william dennis and he was actually dismissed for fraternizing with the prisoner so then comes back her old friend john bod and he arranges so that he can become her guard and was there almost every day and they start to build up their friendship again probably talk about a potential romance if she could get out and John Bod is basically smitten at this point. So they hatch a plan. Bod had sent through some men's clothing to her, also some rope, and a key to the outer door of the prison. So one thing is that her prison door was not that well locked. These weren't really impressive locks. Uh, they weren't modern locks. There was just some old bone that was pinning it shut, pinning her door shut. So she was actually able to reach under her cell door and kind of wiggle things around and shake it and get it loose and poke at it. And she knocked it out. Now, John Bott actually knew all the schedules that were going on. He was very high up in rank, and he knew everybody's schedule and when the shift changes were. So he had arranged that you know nobody would be right at her door, and they would be leaving at a time when the shifts were just changing and there wouldn't be as many people around. So she dressed up in the men's clothes that Bod had given her, and she left her cell and made her way out of the Cold Harbor Tower, and she went up to the top of St. Thomas's Tower above what we call Trader's Gate now, and there John Bod was waiting for her at this point, she had gotten out of her tower, she had gotten out of the main part of the prison, and there was still a moat around the tower at that point, and that was basically the only obstacle to. Freedom if they could get across that moat. And so Bod has a boat waiting and they go across the moat and head in the direction of St. Catherine's Dock, east of the tower and close to about where Tower Bridge is now. And then they decide they're going to walk up the hill and they have horses waiting for them. There was a friend called Jeffrey Harrison who Bod had talked to who had these horses waiting for them. And the plan was that they were going to stay at his house until everything died down. And then they were going to make their way to Europe and probably have a romance or maybe meet up with some of Wolf's friends, but start a new life together in Europe. But first they have to get to those horses. So they're walking up this hill, she's dressed in her men's clothing, and it all seems like it's so close to happening. Just so close. But then some watchmen arrive early. Bod had thought he had it all scheduled properly, but this one watch arrives early. And in that group was a fellow called Gore, who was a friend of Bod. So he recognizes Bod and he's like, Oh, you know, hey, mate, what's up? And Bod's like, Nothing, I'm good. Everything's normal. This is all very normal. There's nothing to see here. But Gore gets a little bit suspicious because it's pretty clear that there's something not exactly right. And he checks out this man who's walking with Bod and realizes that it was actually a woman. Another person in that watch, that group of watchmen, had actually been Alice's guard at one point. So he recognized her. And of course, you can imagine where this is going from there. It all ends with Alice and Bod both being taken back to the tower. Things did not go well for Bod because he. I mean, this was really bad for someone who had been a guard to turn like this. So he was tortured as part of his punishment. He was placed in the cell, the little Ease cell, which you may have heard about before. It was the one where you could not stand up or sit down. So you were constantly in this kind of weird position, trying to stretch out your limbs and not being able to. It was also dark, didn't have any windows. And then he was also racked. Because they wanted to find out whether there were any foreign parties involved in this escape at this point. And he kept saying, No, there wasn't anybody. He said that he acted only out of the love and affection that he bare to Alice. Basically, he was in love with Alice, and that was the only reason they did anything like this. So then they figured they got all the information out of Bod that they could, and he was hanged. And then both Alice and John Wolfe had their original punishments they were strung up on the wall of the river at low tide. And Edward Hall says, at last she and her husband, as they deserved, were apprehended, arraigned, and hanged at the foresaid turning tree where she hanged still and was not cut down until such time as it is known that beastly and filthy wretches had most shamefully abused her while being dead. So basically, they left her out for scavengers for a while. Not pleasant, and you know I don't blame her for trying to avoid that. So that's the story of Alice Tangerville. Then another escape is Father John Gerard. This one's actually has a happier ending because he escapes. Father John Gerard was a Catholic priest who lived during Elizabeth's time. He became a Jesuit priest who came back into England after studying abroad in Rome and in France to convert English back to Catholicism. So I also did an episode six, seven years ago about the Catholic experience in England. This was a period where, of course, there were priest hunters, and we've got Nicholas Owen, the architect, building these priest hides and and hiding places. And um, if you watch the Gunpowder Plot series, you kind of have an idea of what was going on in terms of the, the Catholic situation during Elizabeth's time. They were persecuted a lot. So Father John Jard was one of these people who came in and and was working with those Catholic families. And one of the reasons why they were persecuted was, of course, they found themselves in a difficult position after the Pope declared Elizabeth illegitimate and said that Catholics were okay if they rose up against her. At that point, where's your loyalty? Is your loyalty to the Pope? Is your loyalty to the Queen? And so the Protestants around Elizabeth, including Walsingham and Cecil, were very suspicious of any Catholics thinking that they might be this kind of internal army so that when Spain invaded, they would rise up from the inside. So things were not good for Catholics during this period. So Father John Gerard wrote that he lived during the last era of a declining and gasping world. He was born into a wealthy family in 1564 and he studied at the English Jesuit College. He went back and forth between Oxford and the Jesuit College in Paris. He was very learned, very intelligent, and he first came back to England to become a priest and minister to Catholics when he was in his 20s. And he was arrested at that point by guards and customs officials. And he was sent to London where he was in prison, not at the Tower, but. He confessed that he was a Catholic. He refused to attend service. They eventually set him free. And then the Bishop of London got involved and asked him if he would debate his religion with him. And Father John said, no, he he wouldn't. So then he became a prisoner, kind of, of the Bishop of London. That all was that. And then he was released. And then he went again back to France and studied at the English College in Rome And then he comes back again to England, and that's where his story, where our part of the story takes off, where we're picking up. So he landed in Norfolk, and he went around the countryside pretending to be a country gentleman, but really converting people back to Catholicism. There were several times where he had to hide from priest hunters. At one point, he hid in a fake fireplace for several days. The men on guard actually decided to light a fire in the grate. It wasn't designed to actually work. It was a hiding place. They sat down and started to light this fire and then realized that it wouldn't work. And they actually even commented on how weird it was that it was a fireplace that didn't have fire, the capability to have a fire lit in it. And at that point, he thought for sure they were going to find him. And they didn't. He was very lucky. But eventually, they did find him in another place, and they took him to the tower by this point. So they did torture him. The main thing that they did was hang him. He says, they hung me up from the highest staple in the pillar and could not raise me any higher without driving another staple. And hanging like this, I began to pray. The gentleman standing around asked me whether I was willing to confess. Now I cannot and I will not, I answered, but I could hardly utter the word such a gripping pain came over me. And so they hung him up basically, and they dislocated his shoulders. They asked him if he was going to confess, and he never did. And he never gave them any of the information that he wanted. So he was put back in his cell. Some of his friends were able to get some money to him. And he had a a guard, a jailer who felt bad for him, who was quite compassionate. He asked his jailer if he could buy some oranges. And the jailer said, yes, of course, and brought him some oranges in. And every day he says he did exercises with his hands to build up his hand strength because his hands were quite weak from the torture that had happened. So he would draw little crucifixes into the peels of the oranges, and he would stitch the crosses together from the orange strings and hang them on a thread and make them into little rosaries. And all the time he would store the orange juice in a very small jar. Now, citrus juice can be used as an invisible ink. So it took him close to five months to be able to hold a pen in his hand and to start to write. He didn't want to ask for a pen because that would be really obvious what he was doing. So he asked for a quill that he could use on his teeth, kind of like flossing. And then he sharpened that into a point and made a pen with it. And he started writing letters to his friends in orange juice, which became invisible ink until you hold it up to light. So even now, if you want to have a fun experiment, you can make invisible ink by writing with orange juice, and then you could use a hairdryer to heat it up. So Father John wrote his letters in charcoal to start with as the main letter, and then in between the lines, he would use orange juice, and that's where he would write his secret messages. So there would be letters that would just be like, hey, how's it going? I'm doing all right. Just hanging in the tower. Not much to to think about. Here we are. Then in between the lines, he would write, you know, this is how I think I can escape, blah, blah, blah. So they sent him gifts back wrapped in paper. And that paper also had invisible messages. And that's how they would communicate with each other. Eventually, he was able to connect with another prisoner, another Catholic who had a room that was close to a creek that ran by the tower. And it seemed like it might allow for an easy escape if only you had some rope. So he was able to use the orange juice and write his friends and tell them that he had a plan. And they were gonna arrange a rescue attempt. The first time it didn't work, he went to his friend's room. Again, his jailer was quite compassionate and let him go visit his his new friend, but there were too many currents around the river and they weren't able to get the rope up to him. But then they tried again the next day. His rescuers came in a boat. They knew what room he was gonna be in. They threw the rope up to that room and then He climbed across the moat and across the creek and they were able to get into the boat. So he had a really difficult time because his hands were still so weak. He actually writes, I had gone three or four yards face downwards when suddenly my body swung round with its own weight and I nearly fell. I was still very weak and with the slack rope and my body hanging underneath, I could make practically no progress. At last, I managed to work myself as far as the middle of the rope and there I stuck. My strength was failing in my breath, which was short before it seemed altogether to be spent. But he made it, and he escaped. He was one of the few people to ever escape from the tower. And rather than leave the country, this guy, he was so tough. He stayed in England, continuing to preach and to convert people back to Catholicism. Of course, it was huge news that he escaped. And then once that talk kind of died down, he was able to go back and, and continue his work. He continued his work until the gunpowder plot. He had been implicated in the gunpowder plot, though he went to his grave saying that he never knew anything about the plan, and he wasn't involved at all. But because he was implicated, things were a lot harder for him. He wound up leaving England disguised as a foot soldier in the retinue of the Spanish ambassador. He went back to Rome, and he lived until he was an old man. He died at age 73, in the English College Seminary in Rome, and also while he was there, he wrote his autobiography called "The Autobiography of a Hunted Priest," which you can still read today. I'll include a link uh, in the show notes at englandcast.com/tower. So, a total of forty prisoners escaped from the Tower of London over the years. There's another very famous one that did not go well, which is when Henry Howard, the Earl of Surrey. Tried to escape through his toilet, which led to the river in theory. Though I will say that this particular escape is debated among historians. It's not that well, it's not that widely written about or publicized because it only appears in one source in the Spanish Chronicle. So I'm not sure it's actually true or not, but it makes a good story. And prisoners were still kept in the tower all the way up through World War II. and there was the most recent escapee was in 1945 when a private Elsie Wheeler of the Duke of Cornwall's Light Infantry walked out of the Tower of London. He had been found guilty of being absent without leave. When under arrest, he struck a superior officer and just left, and that was the most recent escape from the Tower of London. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. That's it for this week. Um, remember, TudorCon tickets at englandcast.com slash TudorCon 2021. Show notes at englandcast.com slash tower. The Indiegogo for the Tudor Planner is going through May 22nd, I think, May 22nd, May 23rd, something like that. Um, so make sure you check out the link in the description for this episode. and grab your tutorific perks. If you also love planning, if you love planning and tutors, and this is the planner for you. And this is the best time to get it. Remember, you can always get in touch with me through the listener support line at 8016 Tesco. That's 801 683 I believe. You can also join the Tutor Learning Circle, which is the free social network just for tutor nerds. No Facebook drama, just tutor love. TutorLearningCircle.com. All right, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you are having a wonderful week, weekend, whenever it is you're listening to this. And I will be back again soon with more stories of Tudor England. Okay, bye-bye. Blow Northern Wind Ascend for sweating. Blow northern wind. Blow blow blow.